Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Before the show, here's a shout-out to our new sponsor, Ferro Wine. Ferro Wine has been the largest wine shop in Italy since 1920. They have generously supplied us with our new t-shirt. Would you like one? Just donate 50 euros and it's all yours. Plus... We'll throw in our new book, Jumbo Shrimp Guide to International Grape Varieties in Italy. For more info, go to italianwinepodcast.com and click Donate. Or check out Italian Wine Podcast on Instagram. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's show. I'm pleased to have as a guest David Lynch, who is an editorial director at Som Select. Som Select is an interesting twist on e-commerce, bringing Soms into the equation, and we're going to hear more of that from David. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you give us a little bit of background on you and um, your history in the industry and, and how you got here? I understand you've been a, a SOM, you've been a restaurant owner, manager, and a writer, and are conflicted about what exactly you are, but give, give us a, a little history. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hybrid of a sommelier and a writer, and um, it all came together upon joining Psalm Select. My my first experience in the in the wine world was as a writer in the magazine business. I started out in the in trade publications that covered the beverage industry in New York. Well, the, the publication was in New York. The beverage industry was everywhere. And my first beat was spirits, really, which was uh, you know tequila, scotch, um, and all those very powerful brands and companies behind those brands. And then. Uh, I switched over to the consumer side and worked at Wine and Spirits magazine under Josh Green, who's the editor and publisher there forever. And that was my real immersion in wine and in kind of building my my name as a as a wine writer. And um, after several years at uh, Wine and Spirits, my old friend Joe Bastianich and I, Joe being the proprietor of Babo and uh, son of Lydia Bastianich, owner of Felidia, they own Becco together. Uh, he and I went to college together and, and were, you know, sort of on these, I wouldn't call them parallel career tracks, but I was covering the industry that he was a part of. And we decided to collaborate on a book called Vino Italiano, which I spent the year 2000 researching and writing. And upon returning to the US, I kind of changed directions and went into the restaurant business and became the wine director at Babo in New York City in 2001, was there for seven years. Uh bounced around, kind of bounced back into writing a little bit, ended up coming out to San Francisco, where my wife is from, and uh, in 2009, joined up with Quince and Catonia Restaurants in San Francisco, where I was the wine director. Then I eventually opened my own restaurant in San Francisco. It's called St. Vincent. And all the while, I was I was still doing a fair amount of writing. I had a column in Bon Appetit for a while. And upon closing my restaurant in 2016, I had the opportunity to join up with Som Select, and it was at that time Som Select was about two, two and a half years old. At that time, it was founded, co-founded by Ian Cobble, who was in the documentary film Som, one of the four principals in that film, and a pretty, pretty famous guy who very shrewdly 
you know, took the notoriety from that film and, and turned it into a business basically. And so the idea behind Sound Select is a very simple one. And that is we've got some really credible people spending a lot of time looking for authentic value wines. We're not talking about um, a line I came up with in the, in the early going was standouts, not closeouts. We're spending our time seeking out wines the way we would if we were writing a restaurant wine list. I mean, that's that's really the criteria. Would I want to, on a wine list or not? And because, you know, in retail, I think that you can divorce yourself from the, you know, be, you can divorce yourself a little bit more from the idea that this is what people will like. You also, when you're a sommelier, you, you not only consider that, but you also consider Obviously, what do I like? But what 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 do I feel like reflects well on on me and the restaurant? What works what works the best for everything that we're trying to accomplish? So that mentality, and then the the follow through is the other big thing about Som Select. We send out the original model was a daily offer focused on a single wine. So it was very much the flash sale model. There are other people in that space, but what ours aim to do is to go deeper to provide a little more context, to provide the kind of expert advice and or information you might receive tableside in a restaurant from a skilled sommelier. So it was a way to kind of, it's it's a way to personalize the, the experience of buying wine online in a way that doesn't exist in a lot of places. You know, these these offers are really coming from the heart, you know. So rather than say that we have an algorithm that picks what we think you'll like, it's a little more analog in that regard and it's us and and that's what I came aboard to do was to sort of broaden and refine the voice of the site by writing these offers. Originally I was just doing it as a, you know, on a freelance basis kind of consulting and it turned into a a full-time job and what I like about it, as I said, is that we're able to connect with our customers in a way that I don't think was is necessarily possible in a lot of e-commerce environments. In other words, there we have subscriber. We we call our, our customers subscribers because they're not simply it's it's beyond transactional. I think that there's a relationship that we develop with customers via the offers that we write and the content in those of those offers. There are so many customers that will say, whenever I see your name pop up, I'm not going to, I don't even look at it sometimes because I know if I look at it, I'm going to buy the wine. So there's this, I think there are a lot of people who follow our offers with interest and read them for the information that they provide, but don't necessarily buy the wine. Um, so there's that too. But there's a there's an ongoing relationship there that I think transcends this thing that I kind of bristle against on, on in commerce which is just that it's so transactional you know we're not really discounting we're not we're looking for value but we're looking for inherent value not this used to cost 40 now it costs 30 um so it's a different proposition that we're making to people and that is we tasted you know over the course of the year we're now up to two offers a day over the course of the year, we're tasting thousands of wines, thousands and thousands and thousands of wines, and only a small percentage of those make it through to being up on the platform. So it's it's a it's it's a I think a very personalized and and expert, obviously, but you know I, we're trying not to necessarily be like oracles and more about look, we really are trying to find the best. We're we're trying to find the best, most authentic wines too. So we're really not we're not. We're not selling 
brands as much as we're selling places and people and um, really authentic products. So define authenticity to me in your construction. It's a it's a it's a big word for me. Um, it's a big word for us, and the best way I can describe it in the context of wine is that it's a real wine made by real people in a real place, as opposed to something that is purchased in bulk and branded. Um, so I'm talking about a specific farm of a specific dimension that produces, generally speaking, the producers that we're featuring are, are pretty small, independent, more of an indie producer uh, mentality. And they are often families that go back hundreds of years in their respective regions. So these are very much the, when I think about authentic, I think about someone that has been in their place for a while, someone who, if they haven't been in their place for a while, has this really deep appreciation for the place that they're sourcing their grapes. And that's something that we're seeing a lot in the domestic wine businesses, this huge lionization of specific vineyard sites. You know, the, the, the house on the hill model of American wine doesn't really exist anymore unless you're a tycoon, right? You know, you, you, you can go in and you can buy your way in and buy a winery and in, in, in the state. But most people are working on the contract, almost micro negotiant model, which is, let's see if I can make a connection with the owner of the Evangelo Vineyard and see if I can source a little of the Mouved from there and make something that has some soul. So I think... Wines with soul is a shorter definition of it, um, but wine wines with a real story is another definition of authenticity for me. I think that's the, the big part of it right there. I mean, um, it's all about stories. Everybody's been talking about that. The, the internet and all the other tools that we have, social media and so forth, reinforce that and deliver value to consumers. And it's one thing to have a story. It's a whole other thing to tell a story. So is that something that you can say that uh, SoundSelect does perhaps differently and better than because the um, authority or the credibility of the voice is a little bit more rigorous and perhaps academic or professional? I'm always reluctant to toot my own horn, but yes. I just did. <laughs> the answer is yes. And that's another, that's another tagline I came up with over the years was we don't just sell you a wine, we tell you its story. I love it. I love it. So let's go back to some um, practical things. I think philosophically we got what you guys are all about. Are there types of wines or countries of origin that some select specializes in? I would say old world Europe is the number one focus, even though we're based in Sonoma, France, Italy, Spain, Germany, Austria, Greece, lately Portugal. But uh, obviously we are also very tuned into Domestic wine, Oregon Pinot Noir is a huge category for us. Uh, Washington State, of course, California, especially Napa Valley, but uh, also Sonoma Coast, Santa Cruz Mountains, one of the most underrated wine regions in the world. Um, so we're 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 pretty polymorphous. Although I would say that other New World beyond California gets less attention. Chile, Argentina, South Africa. Exactly. Australia. I mean, we do a little South Africa, but I would say we're a little, I would say we're Eurocentric plus California. So where does Italy fit in? Italy is hugely important, largely because of, I mean, partly because of me. I mean, one of the things that because of my focus on Italian wine all these years, because of the book, because of my ongoing 
relationships with suppliers there. It's a probably our second biggest category. Ian Cobble is a little more of a Francophile. So I, I tend to be pretty pretty intimately involved in all the Italian programming and write most of the Italian offers. Um, that I don't know the exact percentages, but they're a, a very substantial percentage of what we do. Italy still has a great hold on the lower price points of the market and sort of over-delivering at those lower price points. They still have a great uh, – we're seeing a lot of people try to challenge the throne now. Portugal, as I mentioned. Uh, France, which maybe didn't used to, is now really strong at that at that end. So you know what you can get for, let's say, 30 bucks a bottle or 25 bucks a bottle out of Italy – is almost unmatched in terms of, as we talked about, authenticity, but also just in terms of quality for dollar. That's really the the shopping we're trying to do, is how much can we get a wine to over-deliver at whatever price point we're, we're putting it at. Okay. So in terms of practicality, how um, are, are people buying it from you, and then you guys ship it out via common carrier directly to them? Or does it go through a retailer? No, no, no retailers. We're we're direct. We we maintain a warehouse in Sonoma. We um, do all the packing ourselves, and then we contract with shippers to get it to folks. Um, there are only about, I think, five states now that we're not able to ship to. So we're pretty national at this point. It's safe to say we can ship just about anywhere. There are a few no-no states that still exist that are you know this is a function of the, the, the sort of the last i mean the, the three tier system is very much alive let's put it that way it's not uh, going anywhere um but there are a lot of mechanisms in place that enable us to get into these markets and it's not gray we're you know we're meeting sales taxes and we're you know that's it's a straight straight to consumer model that obviously i think covid in a lot of ways maybe ha- has people looking at whatever restrictions remain in a new way can you give us a sense of size in terms of dollars sold, number of bottles sold, or we're twice as large as wine.com? Or you know, can you put this into some context? I, I, I can't because it's proprietary, but I can tell you that we're not as large as wine.com or, or wine access. We're heading in that direction, we hope. Um, there's been great growth over the last, well, all the years that I've been there have been Pretty, I wouldn't say exponential, but really significant growth, um, and in some years exponential. But to get to that scale is going to be the challenge for us because the kinds of wines that we offer aren't necessarily mass scale wines. Uh, in many cases, there you know there are some wines that we offer for which there may be a hundred, two hundred cases in the entire country. Plus, I would say that your customer base is more narrow than uh, a broader thing like wine.com or a traditional retail store, which caters. Yeah, I, I think that it's probably, we are one of the things that we have used in our marketing, and I think it is true, is that we ask them to, we ask our customers to think of us as their neighborhood retail store online. I do think that the focus of I mean, we are gonna we're gonna encounter. We're not there yet, but we're close. Where we're gonna encounter these these issues of scale and be like, okay, I still think there's room for us to get to a really nice number using the wines that we prefer to use, which are, you know, wines that we consider to be special. Um, I also think that we're we're at a slightly higher price point than a lot of our direct 
competition. That, that was my next question. In fact, what price categories or tiers do you sell? You know, averages are probably in the 30s, as opposed to a lot of places that are probably trying to be in the low or even under 20 model. And I can just tell you that, and I'm not looking to besmirch anyone, but the costs of shipping are so enormous that to be able to offer a really discounted, low-priced wine and ship it to someone for free is you're not getting much of a wine in the $20 range. You know, the, the, the costs of shipping are enormous. And so, so in your model, do you charge for shipping or is it incorporated? Into- it's incorporating in at a certain, you know, at a certain cutoff, you know, that's we'll, we'll charge for it if it's a single bottle being shipped somewhere. But usually there are, there are a series of incentives to get free shipping that aren't really that onerous. Actually, they're, they're quite generous. You know, the six bottles, usually you get free shipping on something. So, and free shipping, of course, is something that, yeah, I don't want to get political, but you know, Amazon has kind of ruined it. Yeah, Amazon has established a standard that unfortunately everybody has to be measured against, even when it's in an industry governed by a three-tier system, which makes it practically impossible for us to do it. Yeah, I mean, the difference between us and Amazon is that Amazon defrays their shipping costs to, I mean, basically defrays them to their customers eventually, um, but to other providers on their. You know, there's. I'm not going to get into that because. Right. Let's not. Um, I've been on a. Uh, anti-monopoly kick lately. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit... Uh... I hear you. I hear you. So how, if, if a wine wanted to say, hey, this is kind of neat, I'm a real sommelier friendly wine. I used to have a... Let's put them into two camps. Someone who has already been in the US, maybe had a good business and the on-premise business is tanked. And then someone who is not in the US at all. How could they get into Sun Select? Well, we um, first of all, I will say that we're purchasing a lot of our wines in much the same way as we did when we ran restaurant wine programs, which is through good importers who are on the stick and kind of can see what our needs are and put some stuff in front of us that we can work with. We have our world is somewhat governed by Wine Searcher, which is a pretty big, powerful institution tracking pricing around the country. So we have to be mindful of the fact that even though we're in California, we're putting these wines out to a national audience. And therefore, if somebody in New Jersey has the wine for a dollar less than what we paid wholesale for it in California, which is an issue that we run up against a lot, uh, then we we can't offer it. So there are a lot of wines that gets DQ'd, not based on quality, but just based on their pricing structure in the US. If they're coming across the US from the East Coast and getting marked up accordingly, by the time they make it to us, we're not able to be competitive. So a lot of, obviously we're working with some great West Coast importers that are bringing stuff through the port of Oakland so we can be competitive on price. Well, that's okay. But Italy is the other way around. So some suppliers could go direct to you, but tradition. But I think from what you've described, the best route to some select is through an importer. So are there importers that you work with that you find particularly receptive and collaborative with uh, your model? Yes, there are importers that we work with that I consider very receptive and collaborative. I would say that yes, we do direct, we are able to direct import wines, but that's a logistical piece that we have to add into the mix and it takes more time. Whereas in working with an importer, we obviously have the luxury of having had all that logistical piece taken care of already. 
in terms of importers that we have great relationships with uh, out here on the West Coast, there's Oliver McCrum Wines, which from an Italian standpoint is a wonderfully focused, very nimble importing company. Who else do we work with? North Berkeley Imports, whose portfolio was originally very French focused, but has blown up on the Italian side. And it's a very good Italian portfolio. Blown up in a good way. Rosenthal Wine Merchant, of course, uh, a very strong player in the um, Italian world. Out here, there's a company called Vinity, uh, another strong uh, importer in the Italian world. Lira, L-Y-R-A, another, uh, I'm trying to think of some of our other, I should look at our offer sheet and see who's... uh, I'm not hearing Winebow. I'm not hearing Skernick. We're doing some stuff with Winebow. The difficulty with Winebow is that they're national and that when they put their wines, it's the same with uh, Skernick, for example. Michael Skernick Wines made a big play on the West Coast and they're trying to be competitive as, as much as they can. But just the function of getting these wines overland to California, sometimes some of the big boys like Winebow, we have to, we have to, we're trying to work with them direct from New York when we can. But yeah, Winebow is, has been great, actually. We've done, I've got a Winebow wine I've got to write up right now, the Montevetrano from uh, from uh, Salerno and Campania. So we're definitely doing some business with the big boys as well, no doubt. I mean, at this point, I consider Rosenthal pretty big. North Berkeley's pretty big. You know, they're not Winebow big, but uh, uh, we're, still, we're still doing it when we can. Okay, let's uh, shift gears a little bit and, and talk about what you've learned in the four years that you were three or four years that you've been doing this, um, what kind of insights have you made since you've been there and tasting and talking to all these people on how people shop and differently in e-commerce versus traditional retail stores and potentially even on-premise? You just kind of talk a little bit about that. We've spent a tremendous amount of time analyzing content that in a lot of ways you can't analyze quantitatively where you know we're only just now starting to get into trying to maybe a b test some different offers we've struggled over the years with the length of our offers and what kind of information we I mean length of the copy supporting them okay yeah the length of the copy yes but also how do we start these offers out and to what degree are we really selling like how much salespersonship are we inserting into these offers and we found over the years that we do need to make a pretty impassioned case for the wine because we're not using price as that impassioned case we're not drawing a line through one price and putting a lower price underneath it what i found is that much as i would like it to be otherwise the power of that is probably more powerful than words, you know. So we're we're constantly trying to figure out the right way to present a wine so that the person reading it finds it as indispensable to their life as we do. My insight into what works online is that what I want to believe works versus what I think actually works are two different things. I believe that, and maybe we're not there yet, but I believe that a more personal, impassioned approach works. What actually works is more transactional, price-driven. Like a $35 wine at a $25 price. You're not discounting the wine, but you're putting it in some perspective. So we're, we're basically searching for the formula that doesn't do that. because. Um, 
it's it's um, it's not where value resides. V- value resides in a whole different set of of markers for us, and those are well. I'd, I'd like to explore that because I've I've been I've said many times that uh, people want to know two things. This is based on my not years in in the industry, also some research and all. Uh, people buying at liquor store or retail stores, they want to know what it tastes like in words that they understand. And is going to go with what they're having for dinner tonight. I think people who are shopping at a site named Psalm Selects are not those same sort of people that they have a different set of interests. So can you elaborate on what you just said? I'll I'll give you an example. I have a friend. We just spent the weekend with her and her family. And she belongs to a club that sends her very inexpensive wines um, every month. And she likes the wines well enough. And she basically said, I don't know if I can afford your, I don't know if I can afford Psalm Select. I was like, well, I think it's really like, it becomes, what is your threshold for what you want to spend on a bottle of wine? There are certain people who simply don't, don't care. And there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a ceiling on what they're willing to pay for a bottle of wine. And frankly, that market is the one that scales the, the, the market that, doesn't scale is the stuff that's real that most people aren't going to be able to necessarily tell the difference. So you're, I'm trying to find the people that in the same way that some people will buy us whatever tomatoes sitting there versus some that are going to touch every single one of them before they pick the one that they think is right. We have to find those consumers that touch every tomato. And I don't want to have, you know, anytime I I'm in, let's say, a restaurant that has a terrible wine list. I'm just going to order a beer. You know, I just, I don't want to just drink wine for the sake of being wine. And of course, some of those wines are barely wines in in any kind of real way. But I'll just drink a beer because I, I want the, I, I need an like an, I don't know. For me, it's it, it's not that I'm researching every single farm that every single thing I put in my mouth has has come from, obviously, and. We have lately seen a great surge in interest in sustainability and winemaking, in organic practices where the vast majority of wines that we're offering are organic, um, often certified organic. In their home country, probably not in the U.S. Yeah. You know, U.S. has tough, organ- you know, very uh, sort of tricky, expensive organic standards that not a lot of people are able to you know meet but um yeah so i think i'm I'm sorry i I went off on a little bit of a tangent there from your original question but i feel like what i here's another here's another thing that maybe is too philosophical so forgive me when i first got out of college i was also interested in advertising i mean i mainly wanted to be a writer but what e-commerce is like completely turns what i first sort of saw on its head in that you know, I was, this is the late eighties, early nineties, and there were still ad agencies that were pitching customers saying, we think the customer will really respond to this, this, and this. And marketing today is just send it to that guy, you know, that particular guy in Oklahoma, send it to him. He's going to like it. So it's such a different mindset and that I've had to, you know, the idea of someone who used to write for magazines needing to sort of think about inserting keywords into his copy that are going to resonate. Or obviously we have to factor in 
what the label looks like when we put this a very visual medium, right? If you put a wine with a horrible label up on the site, it's not going to sell. Right, and that's a whole nother issue about not only what it looks like, but what how much information is included on that. You know, looking at German wines, for example, versus some more kind of spacey American wines. But if I can boil it down, you've been talking about the idea of story. We know that that's something that people relate to. But in this particular case, I've read some of the reviews and I get the feeling that it's more of a personal dialogue, not a lecture. And that the idea is to find something that's compelling to that consumer that gets them to engage maybe uh, vicariously in the experience of being at that winery, even though they're not going to be able to physically ever get there, but make them feel like the, the analogy is the old Gap catalogs. They made you feel like you were an adventurer, you know, with a pith hat walking through the jungle. No one was ever going to do that. You're walking down Fifth Avenue, right? But gave you the, the kind of experience or proto experience. So Who was the guy? Jay Peterman? Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. That guy. <laughs> Like you're riding a horse with a big duster and a hat and the whole thing, right? The duster, exactly. You know, it's. I think that there are a lot of similarities, frankly, um, between that sort of Jay Peterman style of marketing and what we're doing. There, there are a lot of similarities. Um, and I think that the difficulty is that um, one of the things that I've seen online is that, you know, content is super important and yet it's been devalued in a, in a pretty major way in the sense that that people you know it's like oh people don't want to read you know this was the same thing that i found with the magazine is that everything got shorter and shorter and shorter that was that's been the the, the mentality everything's got to be a nugget everything's got to be much shorter and to the point and i often find it's harder to write short than it is to write long it takes more time to write three sentences sometimes and it does 20 because we really have to boil the message down really reduced you know like the most reduced sauce ever you know so that it could it can be digested quickly and so the attention span thing is a tricky one to navigate too because how how much of these offers are the folks reading how much of it is just a click okay i like the look of that bottle okay i like where the wine's from I'm not going to read any of it. I'm just going straight to the cart. How much of that is happening? And and there are e-commerce sites that do exactly that and that, that they're set up for that. No no argument. And one that I think of is the one from Gary Vaynerchuk, Empathy Wines. Very little description, very, very, not bland, but very simple labels with not a whole lot of, of information. But I think that's going to a different audience. I think the people who are going to be shopping at Sam Select care about wine more, know a lot more about wine, and want to engage perhaps on a different level than that. We're, we're definitely, we're at this sort of, not a crossroads, but we're at an inflection point where we need to step up our game on a couple of levels, which um, we're excited to do and we're, we're in the process of doing, which is get more uh, into more video content, more visual content and really try to you know continue that engagement in a way that, because some people won't read a 500 word piece on a specific wine but they might watch a video. So so that's something that we we really need to explore um, but I think that the where Psalm Select is successful is that and, and where we have been successful throughout our history is 
customer uh, sort of retention and loyalty. Once once someone become like there are some people that bounce immediately, you know, they they join a million different things and then they kind of bounce out of there or they get too many emails and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to go. But once someone becomes a SOM select sort of member, so to speak, and it's, you know, it doesn't cost anything to join. You just have to be willing to receive emails from us. We find that the, their sort of lifetime value is incredibly high. Um, so we're able to do quite a lot with not a huge subscribe you know not not a humongous subscriber we're not like carpet bombing the world with with emails we're, we've got a pretty focused list and of that list a very focused list of people that are actually purchasing wine so the the, the, the value of the individual som select member is very high okay we're kind of running out of time i, I like to end uh, we're speaking by the way with david lynch the editorial director of som select and I, I found it really interesting it's a very different model of of e-commerce not only uh, or not specifically in terms of structure but um the target audience and the way that you engage them if, if somebody were listening to this what what's a practical takeaway that they can apply and think of most of the listeners are in the industry it's not a, a consumer thing. And uh, yeah, so somebody was listening to this and said, oh, okay, I'm going to try that or do that. Or now that I know that I'm going to do something, to, what might that be? Well, you're speaking in terms of someone in the Italian wine world who wants to have their wines featured on our platform. That, was that the, the right way to address it? The listenership, as we understand it, is mostly U.S. trade. Um, secondarily, U.K. And, and third small is Italy. So it's not producers. It's the U.S. trade, and that could include importers, distributors, retailers, on-premise, the whole range of things. Um, so in the context of guys that you would meet at a trade show or people you would meet at a trade show, what might somebody like that take away from this conversation? Well, um, you know, it's, it's, a little, it's a little nitty-gritty. It's a little um, inside baseball, but, you know, the, the, the pricing structure for us you have to kind of look at us as as someone who's a na- basically a national buyer, as opposed to a strictly California buyer. Um, and uh, so the, the best way to work with us is to sort of, first of all, look and see how these wines are priced nationally. Because what we're finding is that there's lots of wines we would love to feature because of where they are on Wine Searcher. Where they are nationally, and some guy in New Jersey's got it for what we're paying wholesale in in California. It's not even worth considering. So I think a lot of people, frankly, don't do their homework before they sort of come to us with with ideas. It's really about ideas. It's really about in the same way that you go to a restaurant. I always found as a restaurant buyer, you know, the 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 the, the really good distributor reps, the really good importer reps looked at what we were doing and gave some thought into what they were bringing through the door as opposed to just rolling a bag of whatever they they got told to try to sell um and you know sort of gave some thought to like what would actually work for this buyer for the you know obviously the more experience you have the more oh this guy hates this kind of wine i'm not even going to bother bringing it to him but that that sort of advanced uh, advanced you know, sort of intel that you can gather about a wine. And in the case of us, it's mostly, can these guys make it work with all their shipping costs and still get it out there reasonably competitive? We're not trying to be the lowest price on Searcher, but the fact that we're not a discounter and we're not at a scale where 
were you know necessarily going to purchase so many cases that you can give it to them for your FOB price. You're still um, have to be mindful of how it plays nationally. I think that's a huge, a huge component of it. And you have to also weigh the value of having a professionally prepared presentation of that wine that you could conceivably use in your own market. Like, look what Sam Select said about it. I don't want to assume that people are doing that, but I think that they are because I'll have a lot of producers say to me, you know, I, we just did a wine from Irie in Oregon. And Jason Lett was like, man, that, that was a great write-up. I, I'm going to use that. I was like, great. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm honored that you would, you know, so that's what we're going for with all these write-ups is that we would want that producer to sort of highlight it and say, this is, this is the right way to, this is the right way to present our wine, you know. Present my wine. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Super. Okay. Once again, we're, we're speaking with David Lynch, who's the editorial director at Sam Select, e-commerce solution in the United States. David, I want to thank you for your time. You've been very eloquent and uh, interesting to talk to. So thank you very much for uh, participating. Do you want people to be able to reach out to you? Give us a, if you want to, can, can you give us your email address and your social media handles? I would be happy to hear from anyone good or bad. My email is david at somselect.com. And my social media handle for both Twitter and Instagram is at lynchwine. Not to be confused with the movie director. I don't know what his is. I still get Twitter followers looking for the movie director, even though it says lynchwine. This is Steve Ray. Thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast.